We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it's Cooley and Kevin Monday. No Washington game to talk about, but a week from today, we will be talking about a Washington game against the Giants, which if they win and they are three-and-a-half-point favorites, will put them at three-and-five at the halfway mark and a half game behind the Philadelphia Eagles, who were not impressive, Cooley, last night in their win over the Cowboys. We'll have plenty of time to get to that game and all of the other NFL. You've already broken down film on the Ravens, and you're going to tell us whether or not the Ravens will ever be able to win a Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson, because I think that's a big conversation coming out of that game yesterday. But with that said, you know what we got this weekend? We got your cold weather. It was 33 degrees this morning with 40 mile an hour winds. Brutally cold. 30 to 40 mile an hour gust that came in last night, howling overnight. Tree limbs down. I mean, it it was legit cold here for the first time. But, you know, it's going to be 65 end of the week, which, as you know, is golf weather. Um, But, yeah, it it was so cold this morning. I was up, you know, super early per usual. Got into my car. It was 33 in my car with howling winds. Gusts as high as 40 to 45 miles per hour overnight and today. We're under a wind advisory. So there oh you go. my gosh! Um, I actually, you asked me if I had a "What do you got?" I, I said no, but I do because it involved the weather to some extent, and and me. Okay, you'll just like this because you know me. So I went into the doctor to get my MRI results on my knee. Right. And um, two things from this: one, the doctor comes in, and the other, the main doctor comes in, and he'd actually, he was a guy from Stanford. He had been the University of Wyoming surgeon, and they brought him in um, to describe what a unique situation I was in. But my first, what do you got? He said, you play with any guys from Stanford? Kevin, how many Washington football players are from Stanford over the last 15 years? I sat there and racked my brain and racked my brain. Uh, I don't, I can't think of any. Trent Murphy, yeah, and oh, Trent Bryce Murphy, Love and Bryce Love, and I don't, I oh, Bryce Love, of course, right. don't know if there was anybody else, and I didn't really play with Trent Murphy. I didn't play with Trent Murphy at all. 
I don't think I played with one Stanford Cardinal. <clears throat> Maybe in training camp before guys got cut. I can't recall. I looked up Stanford players in the NFL. There was no impactful ones that ever played for us. Yeah, I can't think of that. That's wild, though. That's a big-time program to not have one player play for Washington for however long. It's been a program that's had, like, ups and downs, you know, over a long period of time. Like, the Elway's the greatest Stanford player of all time. Like, it's not even close. And the funny thing is Elway came 10 years after another Heisman winner, Jim Plunkett, won the Heisman Trophy with Stanford and won a Super Bowl with the Raiders over Washington in Super Bowl 18. Um, the, I, I can't believe that I immediately went blank on the player that I wanted them to draft two years ago, which is Bryce Love. Completely forgot about him. But I yeah. forgot about him as well, completely, and I watched a lot of Stanford film in saying that. And I know Bryce, but I think – so the doctor that's the, – the, one of the doctors played for Stanford, the guy that was the – surgeon in Wyoming. So right. he was wondering, he played with John Lynch. He, he was five, six years before me and the, any of the guys that I would have really played with. So it didn't really matter, but I thought it was interesting Two, You'll like this. They say, um, well, one, I tore my meniscus again. Oh God. Uh, so you have a lateral and a medial compartment in your knee. Uh-huh. My right or my medial compartment is bad. It's got cysts in it. I have bone bruising. It's the one that I've had all the cartilage already scoped out. I am aware that this is not good. The problem I've had lately is my lateral side has been killing me. And I went and got the MRI. They came in and they said, well, now you have a tear in that and a Baker cyst behind it. Like, this is one of the more unique situations we've seen. So we went through all the options. And we decided that there was, it was probably likely that we wouldn't get in until the 1st of December or late November, but I got to come back to Virginia in late November. Get in for what? For a scope. Oh, okay, just a scope. And so they called Friday, they talked to my wife, and they said, we can actually get him in on Monday, which is today. Yeah. That's like a rush, man. I. And the weather's going to be really nice this week. Oh. But I just feel like I've said this all along. You can help me make this decision. My right knee had three meniscus tears. I formed cysts around all of them, and it ended up not being that bothersome until they took it all out. And so now I mentioned to them, hey, I've, I'd formed cysts around all the ones in my right knee. Do you think I'll just form a cyst and it'll at least be some padding instead of completely stripping all the cartilage out of my knee completely? Ah, no, I don't. It could happen. Like, but if it happened three times on my other side, what would be the likelihood that would happen on my left side? And it actually feels much better today, so I think I'm, I'm, oh. I can feel <clears throat> in my, my world that I'm forming a cyst around my cartilage. So is that what you're waiting for, these cysts to form under, around the other ones? Well, I don't want to get it scoped if I don't have well, to get it scoped. But, but I thought getting it scoped was a no-brainer. It, well, it, for most people it is, and that, that's what ended my career, Kev, was huh. that I thought getting it scoped was a no-brainer, but after I got it scoped, I didn't do well with no cartilage. I did better with damaged cartilage than I did with no cartilage. Hmm. So I don't feel I want to do a little bit more research. I feel like jumping into the surgery immediately. Well, do more research. Are you in, if it's feeling better today? You should do more research. You shouldn't jump into a surgery, even though you're used to these surgeries and probably 
are more, you know, relaxed when it comes to the word surgery than most normal people. Would you? It's just hard to look at two doctors who are both in there who are very qualified professionals and say, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. But I just want the lubrication shots. I don't really care what you're saying. I know me better than you do. And I think for most people, I think that's hard for any doctor. And I could be wrong on this, but I know me really well. And I know my knee really well. I don't know. Um, I think to anybody, you should consider things like taking cartilage out of your body. Isn't that interesting, though, what you just brought up? Like from this perspective, doctors... Look, mo- I would say 95% of the experience that I've had in my life with doctors, whether they be you know, medical doctors or orthopedics or whatever, it's always been positive, and I've always been incredibly trustworthy. I can't think of an example right now, although my multiple root canals from a few years ago when the guy tried to convince me that I actually had two when he gave me the one and I was still in pain, I just think he did the wrong tooth. Um, but anyway, uh, that aside, you know, doctors definitely have a level of confidence and a level in, uh, of belief. I would imagine that they don't really want to be told their business like, Hey, that's really nice what you think, but I- I'm the doctor. This is what I do. <laughs> so I don't know. Did you go to medical school? No, you didn't. So maybe you just want to listen to me. Well, um, I know that, but do you feel my need? And that's the other thing that I think makes it really complex. I know that they went to medical school. I know that the decision they're making is not, is the right decision right. or is not, is let's put it this way. is not the wrong decision. Why don't you get it, get it. Why don't you have it looked at back here by the people that really it doesn't need looked at again. What about I can, you? What about I can show any doctor my MRI and you're going to see a cartilage tear in my lateral compartment. Right. The, the background to this story is some people recover better from cartilage tears mm-hmm. by by forming a cyst. And I happen uh. to know that I'm one of those people. What what did they say to the whole cyst theory? Well, it's that you do it happens, but their other argument was sometimes those cysts continue to grow and sometimes the cysts continue to build and then it becomes more of a nuisance. It's just it didn't do that for me over a five year span. You know, it could become like a cyst, you know, housing development all, you built around all of that meniscus well, tear. I, I and then all of a sudden you got building it. A, then, a little development in there of cysts yeah. on, on the entire knee. But here, let me let's on my medial side, I have two or three little cysts reforming again the side that's bad they don't want to take those out like at least there's something in there with cushion right so they don't want to take those ones out but they do want to take out cartilage on the other side because you don't have on the other side yeah literally is all i got left buddy that's that's what's buying me six years between now and a new knee so then the other conversation we had to have is how many knee surgeries do you want to have good knee replacement no less than 10 up to 20, but probably ish 15 years. Do I want three new knees in my life? Cause mm-hmm. if I get one now at 38, you can do the math puts me into my early fifties, maybe into 55. I think I have another one puts me into my mid seventies. And then what are you going to do? If I can make it six or seven years, I might not have to have three new knees, three new knees. That's insanity. <clears throat> I wouldn't, I don't know. Did you, um, send your MRIs to anybody else, like people who have, 
you know, like your like you know the doctors here that that know your knee, that have looked at your knees, maybe handled your last surgery. Let me just put it to you this way: <clears throat> you don't trust any of them. I, I don't need to. Okay. I trust what they're saying. I can see in the MRI what they're showing me. Right. I I understand and trust the doctors that I'm dealing with. Right. The decision is more of, for me, what happens after you take it out, and nobody can tell me that. Can't tell me how my body's <clears throat> going to react to not having it. I can kind of tell you because I know how my body reacts to not having it. Mm-hmm. Shitty, shitty reaction. So I'm going to wait. Okay. I'm going to see. I'm going to wait. Well, the other thing is, is I got to come out there and move and do a bunch of stuff because our house sold. Right. And I don't want to be two weeks out of surgery moving. Oh, look, would not, an, not, not enough, not enough people take um, ownership of their own health. Um, and, you know, t- there I'm sure there are many instances where people have sort of relied on their, you know, sort of feeling and intuition and I bet it turns out right, unless you're like an anti-vaxxer or, you know, a, you know. Anti- no, I'm not that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I, I just I, I just want you to be able to move around without pain. Oh, well, that's not going to happen again. <laughs> uh, I, fa- <laughs> I, I found a Stanford player that you played with. Who? O.J. Atagwe. O.J. Atagwe. Didn't he wear number 41 or 43? 43? He was a... I thought he was number thirty-two, tight end running back, or number twenty, something like. No, OJ Atagwe was a safety. Oh, remember? I loved OJ Atagwe. Yeah, you got him no, from the Rams. I know exactly what you're talking about. You got yeah, him from no, the Rams. He's a great dude. Great dude. Not not a great player for us. No, at all. but he was. Dude. But he was a good player for the Rams for several years, and then we got him. He played here in 2011, and you played with him. He was a Stanford uh, player. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. I liked him a lot. Um, also, um, real quickly before we get to uh, football, um, I did want to mention to you that you know I have I have three on my weather app on my phone. I have three on my iPhone. I've got three destinations on the weather. I've got you know Bethesda. I've got State College where my youngest son is, and I have Powell, Wyoming up, and I've had that up now for a couple weeks. So I always check out your weather. It's going to be beautiful this week. But then, did you see what you have coming this weekend? Do you know what your long range is for this coming weekend? Um, yeah, no, it's like 10 degrees. Yeah, well, it's you get snow Saturday in the 20s, and then Sunday is 17, and then Monday is 19 for highs. Temperature at night, four, f- four and then six. So I think yeah, that's... Yeah, no, but it, you see what my week is this week? Yeah, it's, I just said, you've got beautiful days yeah. in the 60s. And, and, and as I've told you before, basically when it's really cold out west... It's warm in the east and vice versa. And when you start to get cold, we're going to be in the 60s and into almost 70, low 70s by the end of the week and the weekend. It's it's going to be golf weather in early November. I wanted to mention one, one other thing because I was a little bit late getting to the start of the podcast today because I ran out real quickly to... Um, to get, uh, I got some breakfast. I didn't eat anything before the show this morning, and I hadn't had any coffee because I was sort of running late this morning. So I went and got coffee, and I got a bagel. And I got caught up into one of those Howard Stern interviews where I didn't want to leave the car. This happens a lot. Stern's such a great interviewer. And he was interviewing Eddie Vedder. And I used to be like the big, I was the biggest Pearl Jam fan in the 90s and the early 2000s. And and the, the, the net of it is, is that, 
Ultimately, I became a bigger Nirvana fan than a Pearl Jam fan, in part because Eddie Vedder, and I've seen Pearl Jam live five times maybe, it just turned into to, too political for me. It drove me crazy every time I saw them. And um, anyway, his life, do you know anything about his life story? Not much, pal. He grew up in a family in which his mother said that his father, which was not his father, was his father. Her husband was not his biological father, but she passed him off as his biological father until he was 15 or 16 years old, and the non-biological father was abusive towards him. And then his biological father passed away. She, he had met him several times because they presented him as a family friend. And the family friend... Oh, my God. The, are you kidding me? The family friend, be, who was his biological father, gave him a gift shortly before he passed away, and it was a guitar. And he said as a 14 or 13-year-old or whatever it was when his biological father, without him knowing it was his biological father, passed away... He said it was seemed weird, but this guy who was, you know, an occasional guy that would show up at the house that was sort of a family friend had given me a guitar, and I thought it was so nice. And then afterwards, his mother told him um, that that guy was actually his biological father. And then he said something that was really sort of eerie. And, you know, I don't know. He seems to be a very dramatic person um, for me, but he said... That guitar, every time he goes to it, it's always in tune. It's never gone out of tune. Anyway, he got into a lot of other details. He had a very troubling childhood. I didn't know about this. Um, I don't. I, I, I. Even though I loved Pearl Jam, I don't think I really knew the whole story. You know, they they already had a band, but they were looking for a singer, and then he came in at the last second to replace. Uh, this guy, Andrew Wood, who died of a heroin uh, overdose, who was their lead singer. And then the rest is history um, with their band. But anyway. Um, and then Howard said, who, what's psychiatrist are you seeing? Who, who are you seeing? You got to go see somebody. <laughs> oh. Don't see a chick. You don't want to see a chick because then you'll end up fucking her. So make sure that you see a guy. But who are you seeing? Tell me your guy. And then he went on to that whole therapy. Oh, he did the whole therapy. Every single person he interviews. And I love Howard. I think it's so funny when he does that. But ultimately, he is the psychiatrist. It is so true that every single person that he has on that has, you know, mom issues or dad issues or abuse issues or any kind of issues... It gets into the whole, you know, are you saying, do you go to therapy? And then it gets into the whole therapy. That is definitely for Howard a big part of, of every interview because obviously he's had and needed so much. You know, if it. you think about it though, I think it's almost a open them up mechanism because as soon as they'll either say they are or they're not, but then if they're, they're not or they're not concerned about it, then they'll show you they're not concerned about it by telling you more about their life. And then no, I'm fine with all actually, no, I'm, I don't need to. I'm, I'm fine with all of this. Let me tell you about all the intimate details of all of my problems. Right. And he gets them all. It's almost a smart thing to do. Yeah. I, you know, sometimes like I think he's a great, I think he's a phenomenal interviewer. And I find myself, especially when the subject is somebody that I'm, you know, vaguely familiar with. And even sometimes when I'm not 
um, it can really hook you into, you know, these incredibly long form. I mean, they can be well over an hour interviews. I think sometimes, like today, I, I left it because I finally came in here and I'll end up listening to the rest of it. I don't know. I would rather, I thought it was fascinating to hear about his childhood. I did. Um, and he, by the way, t- uh, talked about not needing therapy for the, for all of his, all of his growing up issues, which of course Howard told him he's wrong. Um, <laughs> so I predict that. Yeah. But like, I would much rather hear, and maybe that's what they're going to get into now. I would much rather hear about the songs and the writing of the songs and, you know, the favorite songs, they started talking about a lot, like Howard loves a lot of the covers. Vetter himself is a massive Who fan. They've done a lot of Who covers at shows. Um, Bob O'Reilly in particular, they've done so many times um, at shows. But anyway, um, it's funny about that whole era. I was really into it, the whole Seattle thing. And, you know, you were younger, but I'm assuming you were into it because you and I, we, we sort of like, for the most part, the same music. And I was a massive Pearl Jam fan for so many years and saw them many times. But if I had one band, actually, they're, they're, the concert that you never had a chance to go to, um, there are two, two groups. I never saw Led Zeppelin live, which I would have loved to have seen in their heyday. And I never saw Nirvana live. And I would have loved to have seen them live. Because I think that you know they're brilliant, and 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 cool. I've actually become a bigger Nirvana a Nirvana fan over the years than than Pearl Jam fan. But anyway, um, I, I like Pearl Jam. I was right on the edge of. Mm, I I had all the grunge music. Obviously, I was very involved in music and listening to music, and the grunge music was good. And I liked Pearl Jam, and I liked Nirvana, and I, but it was more for me right at that age of. Rap. Like 15, no, I never really liked rap. That it was more of the alternative mix that came in and then some of the early punk stuff that started to get really popular. Like, I don't know, who was really, the Blink-182 yeah, became yeah, really yeah. popular. Sure, sure. And, and then it was also like some of the ska stuff. Green Day became big. Yeah. And some of the, so I got away from the kill yourself music a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, except a lot of the emo music was also sometimes kill yourself. No, music. no, no. It was kill yourself with the poppy beat. Yeah, right. With with <laughs> so, more of a poppy beat. But that was that became more like two thousands. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. I like in that genre. It was more for me. Like, like I hated Soundgarden, but yeah, but I love Red Hot Chili Peppers. That wasn't quite grunge but kind of felt that genre so yeah i don't know i i was never a red hot chili peppers guy but i was absolutely a chris cornell guy who i still i think out of all of them probably was my favorite um voice by the way one other quick sort of what do you got i i don't know why i was just reminded of this but matt um who matt terrell who you know you 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 know matt right yeah that's great yeah yeah so matt um private messaged me and he said Next time you talk to Cooley, remind him that the Detroit game that we talked about the other day that you did not remember when Detroit ended their year-and-a-half losing streak in 2009 by beating you guys. He said, just remind him that the Detroit game was the one with Tom Cruise and the cast of the Red Dawn remake (laughs) on the sidelines, and Matt said it was the single weirdest weekend of my entire life. Explain. He didn't tell you what we did? No. So we had Jason Campbell throw a ball, overthrow me on a corner route pregame, so I ran into Tom Cruise. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I barely, barely brushed him. I, the ball was not – I mean, 
it's just not the most accurate ball. Maybe he kind of wimped out. But I said, throw it right over his head. I said, throw throw the ball just just over the sideline, just at his head. So when I have to track it, I'll run smack into him. And? I missed him a little bit. I kind of bumped him. And then what did you say to him? Oh, hey, sorry. Acted like I didn't know who it was. <laughs> God. I mean, if you're, if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. I mean, be Landon Collins going after Gettleman. I mean, let's, let's. I wanted. I wanted to smack straight into him. I wanted. I. I thought it'd be hysterical if we knock him down. Can I ask you about just the celebrity thing with your owner friend? Did that stuff when you're playing in Cruz and McConaughey and is, is that cool Peter to Bird. you or are you like? I mean, what's the deal? Like, did did you really like? Did these people actually want to hang out with Snyder? Cruz did, yeah. Cruz did? Cruz and Snyder are friends. That's weird. Well, isn't Cruz... Matt and Snyder... I've sat with Dan and Matt in more than two hours of conversation. They get along well. With McConaughey. I know that. Don't call him Matt, but yeah, I've sat with Matt. (laughs) Well, that was was one of the best. You told me the next day on the show... Uh, yeah, I referred to him as Matt, and he said, uh, please don't ever call me Matt again. It's Matthew. That's, you know, whatever. Uh, he he was on with Stern last week, actually. Um, th- that was a good interview. Uh, that could have been an old interview, though. No, it wasn't, because they, they, were, they had pandemic uh, conversation. All right, so anyway, uh, what else um, before we get to football? Uh, That's it. Let's take this break for this word from one of our sponsors, and then we will talk the Ryan Kerrigan news uh, and non-news, and then go around the league. Cooley watched a lot of football uh, yesterday. I did as well. We'll get to all those games next. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll get to all the NFL games from yesterday. It was actually a pretty wild um, day for the most part yesterday. Um, but first, I think we have to talk about this Ryan Kerrigan news yesterday that that broke during the NFL early morning hours with Adam Schefter uh, specifically with a report. And then the Post, um, Nikki uh, Jabvala um, from the Post. I think that's how you pronounce her name. I think it's Jabvala. Um, it's a hard uh, last name to pronounce, but she she's actually doing a pretty good job as the beat reporter um, for the Post covering the team. She had a story as well. But um, Schefter yesterday morning has this weird report. Um, he reports that Ryan Kerrigan had requested a trade, but Washington told teams that it won't deal him. And then in the same – it's citing sources. Then in the same actual report, Schefter – cites another source insisting that Kerrigan has not requested a trade. It was one of the oddest things from one of the most professional reporters I think I've ever seen because Adam, you know, we we had Adam on the show all the time for seven years. He was on with Tommy and me, then you and, and then the two of us. And he had in the, the first two bar- paragraphs, Source says Ryan Kerrigan's requested a trade, but Washington has told teams it won't deal him. And then, oh, by the way, I have another source that insists that Kerrigan has not requested a trade. So you had that from Schefter yesterday. And then you had from Nikki Javala from the Washington Post that Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Kerrigan, and Ryan Anderson, all of whom have generated speculation as possible trade candidates, the team, she reported, has received no calls on them, according to a person with knowledge of the situation. She wrote, it's not believed that the team is shopping Haskins or Kerrigan, but another person with knowledge of the matter said Washington is making calls to try to trade Ryan Anderson. So, I mean, I don't know what the headline is out of this, other than for me, if this were my team, Cooley, I would be trying to get whatever I can get for Ryan Kerrigan and Ryan Anderson. Okay, I understand if there's no offers, there are no offers. And if I have decided as the head coach in the Happy Thanksgiving coach-centric model um, and I don't want Dwayne Haskins on my roster and he's not going to be on my roster, I am trying to certainly gauge what the market for him is. I am going to be a seller. I'm not going to be... I'm not going to do what I've done in the past, okay? I'm not going to sit there and hang on to players for nostalgic reasons or be petty like Bruce was with Trent Williams or with, you know, not trading Kirk to the 49ers because we hate Kyle Shanahan. You know, they should have gotten two, they got two thirds and a fifth for Kirk and Trent. 
That was damaging to the organization. Should have been a first and at the very least a second and a third. You know, this this limited vision, this uh, ability to, you know, figure it out well after the fact can't continue if they're going to be a real organization. I trust Kyle Smith as a general manager and as a talent evaluator. I don't think he's got anything to do with this. They should be sellers at the trade deadline if they can sell prior to 4 p.m. tomorrow. What do you think? I completely agree with you that they should be sellers. I don't know if they have anything that they can really sell. So I think it's just, no, it's funny. I drive up and down the streets in Wyoming. It's like garage sale on Saturday. Here we go. And then you get the same address. And you're like a garage sale the next Saturday. And then the same deal the next two weeks later, another garage sale. And you're like, yeah, those are the things we couldn't sell the first two weeks. I told you, I think they shopped Kerrigan last year and they couldn't sell him. So why they're going to sell him this year, I don't know. I also don't know what you're going to get out of Ryan Anderson. Maybe something, maybe a fifth or sixth out of Anderson with a conditional, just because someone might, may have really liked him out of Alabama and he hasn't been used here. Right. To get into the Kerrigan stuff, just to, just a quick thought on the Schefter situation, just some background to how these things can play out. All Schefter's got to do is cite two sources. <laughs> doesn't If a source says one and a source says the other, he's not wrong on either. He just was told by two sources. There's also nothing to say that both of those sources didn't come out of Athletes First, Kerrigan's agency. One could have been Dave Dunn, who said, yeah, we're – Kerrigan, we got to get Kerrigan out of there. He's, we're going to trade him. And then Eric Schaefer, who now works for Athletes First, who knows Kerrigan, could have called and 10 minutes later and said, nah, Kerrigan's not. He doesn't want to trade it. And this is just, just, just drumming up interest in Ryan Kerrigan, getting his name out there at the trade deadline without making him look bad. I, one of the things that I'll never forget in this crazy, weird NFL world is my second year out, I wanted to play, and I got a call from Arizona. They maybe go work out in Arizona. Later that day, as I hung up the phone with their vice president of football operations, the first conversation I'd had with them, there was already a tweet from Schefter. <laughs> really? Cardinals interested in working out Chris Cooley. They were all doing that to sign the tight end that they had oh. that they had, had that was holding out. What was Who was it? Jermaine, it was Jermaine Gresham. I remember this now. There's yeah. no chance that the source wasn't my agent, Dave Dunn, to Adam Schefter. Nobody else knew about that. I hadn't told anybody. It had happened within a span of an hour or two hours. And I the tweet was out before I actually had got finished the call with Arizona. I do, I, so, I do yeah, sort of remember that now, yeah. So I'm just saying to you, this could easily have been two sources within Ryan Kerrigan's agency. One, to get his name out and get it going, and another, to protect Kerrigan. Right. I bet you that's what this is. I would actually bet on this. I don't. I'm not disputing that, and and you're right. It's it's not that 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 Schefter was wrong. It's just odd. Typically, the headline is Ryan Kerrigan has requested a trade. It's not that Ryan Kerrigan Ryan Kerrigan has requested a trade, and that Ryan Kerrigan has not requested a trade. You rarely get that in the same story. So that was my point: is that it was oddly presented. 
Mm -hmm. It is oddly presented, but does Ryan, if Ryan Kerrigan can't be traded, is it a good look for Kerrigan who wants to remain a Redskin forever? And that's the image you would want to portray to have wanted to have been traded. Yeah, no, I, I get it. it. It's it's like, I want to trade. No, I don't. I just want my name out there. And he wants to play. You know, the irony, he the, here's the irony of it, Chris. The irony, if like Kerrigan wants to get traded and wants to get traded to a contender, but doesn't want the fan base to think that he wants to get traded, the fan base, the majority, wishes him well and wants him to get traded to a good team. Like there, there's nobody. See the the the, the thing that the owner gets hung up on, and this is where he's sadly mistaken. There's no no nostalgia. There's no real nostalgia for any players during his era. Now, are there favorites like you and Clinton and Ryan? You know, of course. But there's no massive hung up over nostalgia. Gary Clark didn't finish his career here. Dexter Manley didn't finish his career here. Art Monk didn't finish his career here. Super Bowl MVP Mark Rippon didn't finish his career here. Those are people that really really in the moment way back then because I was part of this was like no we don't want those players gone we want them to finish their career here now with a guy like Kerrigan who's been a good player not an elite player if you followed like the 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 Schefter follow-up on social media from Washington fans was oh my god you know send Ryan to a real franchise and let him finish his career with a chance to win something that would be really nice for him you know, nobody, nobody's hung up on the nostalgia. The, if the owner wants him to, to, to play every single last down as a Washington football player, that's stupid. Nobody gives a shit about that. What they give a shit about is, are you doing what's in the best interest of the organization so that we might be able to win some games on the field rather than have cool halftime ring of honor celebrations, which, by the way, he'll be back for anyway. Like, just if you can get anything for him, and maybe you can't, and that's what you, you've said that. You said that they could have barely gotten anything for him last year. That's fine. But if you can, you do it. He's not going to be on this roster next year. Ryan Anderson's not going to be on this roster next year. Fabian Moreau might not be on this roster next year. Dwayne Haskins, more likely than not, is not going to be on the roster next year. So get something for him. This is a business, and you haven't built up any fan equity in the players that you've had play for you over 20 years. People love you, all right, and people have your jersey, and they have Clinton's jersey, but if you had finished up your career with the Giants or the Cardinals, do you think anybody that was a Chris Cooley fan would have thought of you any differently? No. Maybe for five minutes, and then you come back, you put on a jersey, and you sign a one-day contract, and you retire for the team that you played for, and everyone remembers the great things that you did. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm also completely with you on sell what you can sell. And we can sit here and play this game that a sixth round draft pick and a seventh round draft pick has nothing or no value. Cameron but you Curl. know what they do? You know what they do have? Cameron Curl. Sure. But let's just say you're pretty darn good next year and you need to trade for Ryan Kerrigan or that type of player midway through the season for a one-year aid to help because maybe you had someone hurt or something. Oh, there's our extra seventh. Exactly. Let's go get the guy we need for the rest of this season. It's yeah. an asset that you have. And so 
yeah, if you don't believe a guy's going to be on your roster, by all means, get a seventh. Right. Get a sixth. Look, get a get a projected get a guy that maybe has had a decent start to a year that was an undrafted player that's, that you like off a practice squad. There's the, get something that you may maybe see in somebody else. And, and nobody feels bad for Kerrigan because they drafted two players at his position in the first round two years in a row. They moved in a different direction because those players were great in the draft and you're drafting for the future. There's nothing wrong with him leaving. Um, I don't think they get anything for Kerrigan, though. I know that. that I've is... told you this all along. I don't think that there is a trade to be had for Ryan Kerrigan. And maybe they – look, maybe – I haven't looked around the league and haven't seen who has what at that position right now. But maybe somebody who's going to make a playoff run does want a guy that can come in and play 15 plays a game and get some pressure. It's funny. He's top 20 in sacks, I think, or he was before yesterday. Um, in the league with so few snaps. Did we do that research? Remember, we yeah. Do uh, we we play? didn't. We didn't. I, I think we found the pressure rate, but I don't think we found the sack rate. I didn't follow up on that. Uh, but but the net of it is, is if you know, if he really, if no one really offers anything now, given that his pressure rate and his sack rate is really high, then clearly they're watching the tape and they just don't believe it. You know, and you've watched the tape and you haven't believed it. So, well, then maybe that's the other thing of saying Ryan Kerrigan doesn't want to be traded. He does and he doesn't. It also protects him if Ryan Kerrigan really wants to be traded and they can't get anything for him. It sure doesn't look good for Ryan. Right. So it protects him to that respect as well. A point is, I would, I would lean towards both sources being out of. Understood. Kerrigan's that makes and, sense. And, and not that makes to sense. disrespect Schefter, but there's another thing that all of these beat reporters do. Of course. Which is, if I can help you with something, right. let me help you with something. Your quid pro quo. And you give me something later. And that would be athletes first reaching out to Schefter and saying, look, we really need your help on this situation to say, one, he wants traded or we want to trade. And two, then he doesn't want to trade. And just We want it out there to potentially get it done, but we don't want to make the guy look bad. Right. None of this, I'll bet you none of this came from Ryan. He may have had a conversation with athletes first, like, yeah, do what you want to do. But I'll bet you none of it came from Ryan. Um, that may be the case. I'll bet I'm dead right on all of this. Wouldn't, actually... wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, one last one on just this trade deadline, and that would be this. Would you, given that you have a chance here in the division, and it's my belief that they're actually going to be a competitive team, the rest of the way, unless they get a bunch of injuries. I actually think they're going to be in this thing for a while. Would you be a buyer if, say, Will Fuller were available or Kenny Stills were available or David Nojuko was available or, um, you know, uh, Zach Ertz, although he's on injured reserve, right? Alshon Jeffrey could be open. I mean, I don't know if the Eagles would deal him here, but w- John Ross is the other one I saw over the weekend a lot, who, by the way, has never lived up to anywhere near what they thought his talent was when he was a top 10 pick when he came out. Would you be a buyer for a receiver or a tight end? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think it would get into what are the details of Will Fuller's contract. Like, Will, Is Will Fuller on a fifth-year option right now? I, have, I don't know. I mean, are you going to have to negotiate with Fuller, which actually gives you a year where you're not going to have to trade that much. You might give, give up a fifth for Fuller or a fourth for Fuller. 
if there's some contract implications at the end of it. Ross is going to cost you almost nothing right right now, and he he's a burner that would get over the top. And Joku is a guy that the Browns probably don't want to trade, but they signed Austin Hooper, and the kid out of Florida, Harrison, what's his name, Harrison. Bar, uh, the guy the, in, in Cleveland you're talking about. He's out of Florida Atlantic's playing really well. So Bryant, they have Bryant, to guide. Bryant. Harrison Bryant's playing well. And Joku's yeah. hurt a lot. But Njoku would give you some true stretch-the-field ability, some playmaking ability to tight end. So, yeah, I, I think any of those guys I would be interested in. And purely be watch – the, watch the Dallas-Philly game. They suck. Everyone in the East sucks. And I don't care if you win, if it's winning six games gets you into the playoffs. A playoff game is so impactful for your team, your players, your coaches, your organization. It doesn't matter if you won six. Kev, it, uh, you and me can sit here and we will say that they're not a team that's going to win in the playoffs. But having a chance to win in the playoffs changes the mindset of your organ. That changes the culture. I agree with you on that. They gotta have another dude who can make plays. It will open things up for the run game. It will give them more versatility. Like right now, with two backs that you have that you can use out of the backfield. If you had a guy like Njoku that you could move around and split him out to one way, and then you still have two backs, and then all of a sudden now you move Gibson out to the other side, you'll dictate coverage for Kyle Allen. Right. So uh, Will Fuller. I would Will be Fuller. A buyer, but. Will, Ful- Will Fuller's a, uh, an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Yeah, so he's in the middle of his fifth-year option. Yeah. And so you're looking at having to pay Will Fuller at the end of this year. So what are you going to give? He's probably not at this point not going to generate more than a fifth or sixth, which, again, back to our point, get anything. Well, in for part because he's a rental right now. He's a rental, and if Houston doesn't want to pay Will Fuller what he wants and they don't want to get into that dispute, they'll just get a sixth for him. Right. So yeah, I would be I would be in the business of Fuller. Stills is out there. Brandon Cooks is out there. I'm not sure on Stills. Brandon Cooks would be really interesting because Cooks is a guy that, when healthy, can really stretch the field. Cooks is, I think Cooks was one of the first players to have. Th- I think he was the first player to have three thousand yard receiving seasons with three different teams in three years. If Fuller didn't have the injury history that he has, he'd be very interesting to me. Because at when you know that he was obviously the player picked after Josh Doxson um, in the 2016 pick, we flipped spots. Remember, um, or they they took Fuller before uh, Doxson um, after we flipped spots with them, right? I think that's the way it went. Right, a- and, and he, they basically knew they were going to take a receiver, and they yeah, and they didn't that, care that, which that one Fuller or Doxson. They they were going to take whichever one Houston right. didn't take, um, even though Ryan Kelly was who they wanted in that draft. Too bad they weren't in position to draft in the center out of Alabama. Um, But Fuller's interesting other than his injury history. You know, in the game that they nearly beat Tennessee in two weeks ago, um, he had 11 catches for 123 yards and a touchdown, averaged 20.5 yards per reception. So he's healthy right now. Um, He really would give you something. And if you're telling me that I can get him for a sixth-round pick, even if I am unable to sign him, going into next year for the rest of this year, I'd actually think about that. Because something you just said I think is really true, and I don't know that everybody listening agrees. 
If you don't think that a playoff race and meaningful football games in late November and December, regardless of whether you're not whether or not you're going for the worst division in NFL history or the best, isn't a it isn't better experience than just playing out the string, especially when you're a young football team, I would just totally disagree with that. I would much rather them be playing the 49ers on December 13th in a game for them that's must win even if they don't win it, to get used to that, you know, because that's yeah. that's better than what they've had the last several years, which is playing ugly, meaningless, nobody paying attention to football at the end of the year. I just always thought the couple playoffs stretches we had where we made a playoff that <laughs> I always called it yearbook day. The yearbook day was so much more impactful a week later. You know, that day where you come in and meet and everyone gathers all their stuff and says goodbye and we'll see you later and maybe you're not going to be here next year. <laughs> right. It was yearbook day. Right. Like, I always called it yearbook day. But when you had a playoff run, yearbook day ended on a real positive. But when yearbook day was January 1st, it was like, oh, that was a wasted year. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> to, to know that you had a meaningful year. I hated that, this school. Yeah, right now, if you can propose that – the only thing that matters is the second stretch of the season and they can win four out of the rest of the games and get to the playoffs. That they still got to win four games. They got to find a It's there in a, they're in the hunt. Yeah. Like in the hunt for your team changes the last month of the season. It changes the way you approach the off season. It changes everything. I, I felt it. I know it. I don't know about winning as much as a lot of guys do. I do know that in the hunt made me feel a lot different about how I prepared for all the games in December and how I felt about those games and how I felt about the offseason. It matters. One last thing on the whole trade deadline thing. If somebody came in and just offered you a conditional late-round pick, called a conditional sixth for Dwayne, and you are the head coach and you are the general manager and you don't have any desire to develop him, would you do it? Or would you wait yeah. thinking you could get more in the off season? No, I'd do it. Okay. Uh, let's take um, a quick uh, break to tell you about mybookie.ag. Then we'll get to the rest of the NFL uh, games for this weekend. I have been pushing my bookie for a while, and I got a lot of you, uh, by the way, who thanked me for the NFL picks yesterday. Yesterday, Cooley, was one of those days where the house got even. It's been a good public year. So far, but my God, in the NFL yesterday, it was a big day for the house. And if Dallas had come through, and we'll get to the ending of that game, um, if Dallas had come through, it would have been an, an incredible uh, day. Um, the smell test was, I think, 9-6 and six for the weekend and 3-1 and one on the NFL picks. Maybe eight and seven now that I think about it. But it was three and one on the NFL picks. And I have to tell you, I should have given out Chicago because I played them personally. Um, and I absolutely should have given out New England, which I also played personally. I also ended up playing personally Dallas last night at the last minute because nobody, nobody was playing the Cowboys at plus 10. And that one did not come through. But 
Uh, look, if you're looking for a shop, if you're looking for a place to wager on sports, tread lightly. It's not for everybody. But if you're looking for a spot and you need a spot, I recommend MyBookie.ag. MyBookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. Uh, sign up at my bookie today. And when you do use my promo code, Kevin DC to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. So if you deposit 500, they're going to give you an extra $500 to play with free money to play with. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on a winning season. Again, mybookie.ag promo promo code Kevin DC. You can trust my bookie, fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair pricing, and you'll get paid if you win. Mybookie.ag promo code Kevin DC. All right. Um, do you want to start with the Dallas Philadelphia game from last night and then go to Baltimore, Pittsburgh? It's up to you. Sure. All right. Let's start with the Dallas-Philadelphia game and the fact that I have this great projector screen and Nick Turner, my buddy's here, and we we're going to put this up on the projector screen. And NFL just stymies any screen marrying. Oh, really? God, it pissed me off. Spent like 20 minutes trying to figure out how to uh. cheat the screen marry so I could put this up on a big screen. We could enjoy sitting here and watching a game. And then I watched it on my fucking computer. <sighs> Yeah. Now, now to the game. Okay. God, JMU was bad. Oh, he was terrible. Old Danucci just <laughs> jacked the ball off all day. And just got hit in the face over and over and over. And it, here's what I, I thought purely. And Wentz did it too, which is weird. But Danucci did not have a sense for the speed of the defensive line. It was like, okay, I'm. Oh, they're on me. He just could not get the get the ball out. No. I mean, sack after sack, just sitting back there. The Cowboys suck. The Cowboys are a terrible football team right now. But Cooley, you know what really surprised me? They came out with some real fight and energy and heart, unlike last week. I mean, they really they came out creative offensively, trying anything. I mean, lining up wide receivers in the backfield, double trying reverse. double reverses. They were trying to win the game. Like, they really did try. Last week, they were dead coming in, um, worse than dead leaving, if there is a such, such a thing. And last night, you know, it's funny because I wagered on them right before kickoff. I'll tell this quick story. J.P. Finley texts me. He's like, you know, I've been listening to your smell test and everything for years. The Cowboys are right, right? And I'm like, they are, but I don't know if I can do it. We we both watched them last week. And then we went back and forth. And I finally, he's like, he goes, I think I'm going to do it. And I said, all right, you talked me into it. And right before kickoff, I fired on the Cowboys plus 10. So now I'm really invested in the game. And I loved the way the game started. Like they came out, they were creative, they had heart. They had a 9-7 to halftime lead, you know? And Philadelphia, by the way, they, they they punished Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz takes way too many unnecessary risks to extend plays. And you said Danucci doesn't have a sense of sometimes the timing of the defender reaching him. I think Wentz sometimes doesn't have that sense. I, there's something about him that I love, and there's something about him that says, eh, I don't know. 
I think he's I love the way he fights and competes and 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 really, you know, and he doesn't have a whole hell of a lot around him. He got Goddard back last night. Um, but it's not like they have Miles Sanders and they're missing Jeffrey and they're missing Deshaun and they're missing all these things. Even though I think Fulgham looks like the real deal, Cooley. He looks like a really good receiver. Yeah, I we're sitting here. Fulgham went to Broad Run High School. Yeah, I know. I saw the uh, the they, they did a, a little brief thing on him. Um, he is the real deal. He's awesome. He really and they got Jalen and they got Jalen Rager back, which helps them. You know what? He's he. Yeah, I'm surprised they're not using him on punt returns. Um, but anyway, um, I, I I was sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I'm on the right side all night long. I'm on the right side. And then we got to just I just, we just got to talk about the, the the fumble return. You know, for those of you that didn't see any of the game and you woke up and you saw 23 to 9, it was a terrible game between two teams that are not very good. One team and turnovers. Yeah, one team is really bad. I mean, Dallas is real bad. But one thing before I get to the fumble return, you know what Dallas has? They do have a pass rush. You know, they've got like they have players defensively like Demarcus Lawrence and by the way, Alden Smith and, and, and Randy Gregory and when Van Der Esch is on the field, like I, I kind of feel like they can really get to the quarterback. Um, and I don't know why they're so bad against the run. But anyway, you can explain that afterwards. The play in question basically um, capped off a day of just terrible officiating around the league, horrendous officiating around the league. Dallas is actually down 15 to 9 and on the move for their best drive of the second half. And they are at the Philadelphia 21 yard line. There's five minutes to go, and they've got a chance. You know, Cooley, all I kept thinking was whatever you do, don't get sacked and out of field goal range. You can kick a field goal 15 to 12, and that means I can't lose. I can only push if Philadelphia scores a touchdown. <laughs> um, although, you know, you never know when this. Frickin' guy Peterson's gonna, you know, dial up his analytics friend and it, it, tell him to go for two. I do not think he should have gone for two at 13 9. 14 9, 13 9, he got it to 15, but 13 9 means if Dallas scores, you're down three. So I, I that, that one sailed over my head. But anyway, Danucci doesn't pick up the safety blitz. Here comes Jim Schwartz. First of all, they're offsides on the play. It's third and five at the Philadelphia 21. Dallas is in the neutral zone before the snap. No flag. Then he gets hit. Ball comes loose. And Philadelphia falls on the ball. And it's clear that at at least for a brief moment, the Philadelphia D-tackle, I forget who it was. It may, may have been Hargrave. I forget who it was. Has the ball in his hands. Contact. Down by contact. That's where Philadelphia. Obvious. Obvious. And they don't overturn it. Uh, Jerome Boger is the biggest joke of a lead official I've ever seen. I, I every single one. I think he's the, by far the worst one. Every single game you get Jerome Boger, it's like there's always something. You're like, you've got to be kidding me, dude. What is wrong with you? How they continue to let this guy work games? But once that happened, it was over. You know, in terms of the cover, although they did get get down to the they had a, they had two two passes at the end in the red zone to try to get the backdoor cover, but um, I don't know, man. I, two bad teams. Uh, Wentz, I know, doesn't have a lot around him right now, but and I do think Philadelphia is pretty decent defensively, but whew, they, we've already beaten Philly once. 
You telling me that if we played them this Sunday within the state they're in that that we couldn't beat them again? I actually I actually believe that we would. I think I told you on Friday I thought it was a decent matchup for Dallas because of the lack of weapons that Philly has and the pressure that Dallas would get on Wentz and through most of the game it proved to be exactly that. It was it was exactly Wentz couldn't get rid of the ball. He didn't have open receivers, and he's sitting back there looking for stuff, looking for stuff, rolling around, making idiotic decisions out of the pocket. They were in good. They were in great shape to cover that ball game, Kev. They were in great oh shape. I'm like, that was my lock of the week. Well, that in Western Kentucky. That in Western Kentucky. Yeah, I know. It was, I gave you math on that to start. I know. That was about 31. Yeah. And that I think it was 29 and a half to cover. They lost by 31. Yeah, they lost by 31. <laughs> like, yeah. ah, I jinxed myself on that one. Um, but your Dallas was right all, all night long. You agree with me, right? That they came out with real energy and like a desperation, which I actually found in their state, which we've been reading about recently in the, the Mike McCarthy stuff and the anonymous leaks and the whole thing. I was impressed with that last night. Now, I think they're dead now. They get Pittsburgh coming in Sunday. That's going to be a battle. Yeah. So they needed to win that game to keep, like, any hope alive. They're done now, you know, even if they get Andy Dalton back, right? I I don't see anything with Dalton. Me neither. Dallas should trade trade for Haskins. That would be um, funny. No, I, I, I just – I think they, if they get Fitzpatrick, they have a chance. Yeah, I don't think Miami's trading Fitzpatrick. I think <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're trading Fitzpatrick. Miami's not going to bank on punt return and defensive touchdowns to win every game. <laughs> no, I mean that's the one of the oddest box scores of the year. We'll get to that uh, momentarily. Um, let's get to Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Um, I'll let you start it off because I know you really watch this game and then watch some film of the game. Start wherever you want to start. Lamar Jackson, anywhere else. So I, I thought this was really interesting. This was going to be one of my what do you gots because I was just reading around after I watched some of the film. And this was, um, where was this? Gosh dang it, I don't know. There's an article, his name's Kalen Jones. I wrote it down. Okay. In which it says, the Ravens offense needs a hard reset. They need to tweak or revamp their passing game. And it, it went on to say, they got to find a way to get their guys the ball in the passing game you know i don't know if you knew hollywood brown only had a couple targets and he actually tweeted hollywood brown did what's the point of having soldiers when you never use them never Ooh, i did not and see then he that. later deleted that tweet oh <laughs> oh that's not good for them no that's not good for them but i read through this they need to tweak or revamp their offense could we just stop with the fact that Lamar Jackson has developed into a drop-back quarterback who you can throw the ball down the field with consistently throughout the game. He isn't that. There's, I, I don't know what to tell you. I know a lot of people uh, take this the wrong way, but as you put it, unless you have an agenda, it's obvious to look at this. Yeah, right. I mean, but when you do look at what they did offensively, other than Lamar Jackson turned the ball over – Four times. The Ravens had 457 yards of total offense. I know. We said two weeks ago when the 
when Washington had like 25 more plays against the Giants, how do you lose a game? The Ravens ran 79 offensive plays to the Steelers 50. Right. 79 to 50. Yeah. Offensively, Dobbins had 113 yards, averaged 7.5 yards a carry. Gus Edwards had 87 yards, averaged 5.4 yards a carry. No, by the way, Jackson still threw in 65 on 16 rushes. They had 265 yards on the ground. I know. The problem is, is he completed 46% of his passes. He fumbled twice, almost fumbled a third time on a scramble where he rolled out and dropped it and picked it up and threw two bad picks. Lamar Jackson lost them the game. Yes, he did. Now, what I loved about this game and watching this on film is Pittsburgh said very, very clearly, we'll give Dobbins 113 yards and we'll give Gus Edwards 87 yards. We'll we'll grant you that you're going to get 200 yards on the ground. But Lamar Jackson's not going to beat us. Every single time they had zone read or one of those quarterback could pull plays, they took at least one, if not two defenders, and went straight for Jackson. They took at least a defender out of the box every play to play Lamar Jackson. He will not beat us. They pressured him. They flew to the ball. They knew where they were going to make him flush, and they made it hard on Jackson, who took like, I don't know, 25 hits, it seemed like. He was hit a lot, and he was pressured in the pocket. And I'll just tell you right now, I watched it all the way through this morning. He has happy feet. When he's pressured, he goes from one side of the field, his one read or his half side of the field, to panic and a lot of his plays granted he makes a lot of them are broken down plays which they're going to get right i would love greg roman to sit down and respond revamp this offense we just put up 457 yards on one of the best defenses in the league (laughs) yeah you want to revamp an offense that just put up 457 on pittsburgh okay Sounds good. How about we don't throw stupid picks? Like the first pick was a pick six to this dude, 41. Yeah. Who I don't Spleen. even know. Spleen. Yeah. Stared, stared, stared him down. Just threw it right to him. Actually, he looked the other way first. He did? He guessed when he threw it back to him. Okay. They had what looked like their the, they have those mesh concepts where the two receivers were in shallow crosses. Both of them ran whips, and as soon as Blaine saw whip, he undercut it. He he saw it. He saw the other receiver not coming from the other way, and undercut it. The second he's looking left, and he just doesn't re- read the high low defender. I will say this about Pittsburgh's defense, though: that second pick, when you get a chance to pull up film, I talk about pattern matching routes and receivers or defenders in zone coverage underneath going to where the ball could be thrown. God, watch Pittsburgh's whole defense react in pattern match. It's like everyone, there's no receiver over here. We won't cover over here. They are fun to watch on defense. Pittsburgh's a really good defense. They're a good ball club. And they got gashed a little bit in the run game, but they didn't really give up the huge runs. They gave up one scramble to Jackson, and they played him exactly how you have to play Baltimore. It was like in a weird way similar to what we did in Tampa against Fitzpatrick a couple years ago. Yeah. So you can get a boatload of yards, but we know how to keep you from scoring. And to keep you from scoring is to keep Lamar Jackson from going off schedule and beating us with big plays and beating us with his feet. We'll give up the runs. we got to tackle on the second level, and we'll get him off the field when we need to get him off the field. It was awesome to watch, but Lamar Jackson was terrible in this game. He said it too, you know. He Give him credit. Lamar Jackson came out and said, that game's on me. 
It, first of all, I think it's really interesting the way you presented it, which is you're really going to go to Greg Roman and tell him that the number one rush offense in the league needs an offense revamped. They had 450 yards against you know the perceived best defense in the NFL, um, and to me it comes down to this: the 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 Ravens are a front running team, and by that I mean. They have to get a lead or it has to be a one-score game, which it was yesterday throughout, because if they get behind and, and the only way to get back is to drop Lamar Jackson back, there's no chance. You, any, any football fan can see it. Any longtime football fan can see when it's a true drop back for him on third and whatever, it is not going to go well unless he just makes something happen, which he does a lot. You know, a lot of it is, hey, like you said, it's like drop him back, have him go through the one-half read, and if if it's not there, let's just let him do his thing and see if we can get, you know, see if we can get, you know, uh, close to like a fourth and two because then we can go for it. Then we can run zone read and, and, and pick up fourth downs because they do pick up a lot of fourth downs and they go for a lot of fourth downs um, for them. But but he just – yesterday there were just so many – and he – Cooley, am I right about this? He can be accurate, I think, when he's scrambling, but when he's in the pocket comfortable, he's inaccurate. Yeah, and it's really awkward the way he's throwing the ball. It, we, I've always talked about this with Dwayne, or I've talked about it the last two years. He throws so many so many off-balance throws with his hips square to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And he has so many inaccurate throws sitting there in the pocket, but it's never a comfortable slide and throw in the pocket it's got to be happy feet moving in the pocket to make these throws so one no, of the- he, he can throw on the run it's not that he, a lot of these guys it's really interesting it's it's just the mechanics of a lot of these young quarterbacks are so bad his mechanics are horrible simple question on him because there is an end of the game situation that i want to talk about real quickly in that game um can you win a super bowl with him or not you can win a Super Bowl with him. You, I don't think you can win multiple Super Bowls. And the reason I say that, uh, and, and by multiple, I mean a long stretch where you're in the Super Bowl two or three, four times. I think that you can front run your way to a Super Bowl. Right. Because you can get ahead in some playoff games, and if they get a lead, it's big time. You know, we were sitting here with Nick, and Nick was like, this is the one team that you would always take the ball first against because you, if you score and put them in a little bit of a hole – he feels like he's got to do too much. Right. So I do think that you can front run your way to a Super Bowl. They're good enough on defense. They can gash people in the run game. And if they get leads throughout the playoffs, yeah, he can win a Super Bowl. But can you front run your way through the playoffs multiple times? No, it just doesn't happen. Teams have to find a way to battle back. And he's shown that he hasn't been able to battle back. And when they get down, look at the Kansas City film this year. He was horrendous. And he pressed. When they got down in this game, against Pittsburgh, which actually they weren't down in early. He pressed and he made silly mistakes. I think they have to come back with the style that they play. Like they can't drop them back and say, I mean, obviously if you're down three scores in the second half or two scores like they were to Tennessee in the playoff game, you end up throwing, you know, 59 times, which is what happened in the Tennessee playoff loss last year. I think it was like, wasn't it like 59 times he threw? I think it was. Um, 
But uh, but I think you know if you're down two scores, you just have to continue to play football the way you play because your defense is good enough to continue to get the ball back. They lost Judon in that game, which really hurt. I wanted to talk about the end of the game real quickly because on a day where I thought the officiating was just horrendous throughout, there was another terrible, terrible um, you know uh, missed call on uh, that hurt the Ravens. If you were watching that game live at the end of the game on on Baltimore's final drive of the game. They're, they they hit a big throw, uh, Jackson does, to Willie Sneed in the middle, middle of the field that gets down to like the Pittsburgh 22-yard line, something like that. Um, the clock's rolling, and the, the Ravens are r- rushing up to the line of scrimmage to clock the ball so that they at least get one or two throws into the end zone. Meantime, Casey Hayward is injured on the play. He's rolling around on the play, and um, and, and in the backfield, and they snap the ball. Well, that's an automatic stop the clock. You know, Pittsburgh's charged with the timeout, and you put, you know, you put the appropriate amount of time on the clock. The play before that ended with about 18 seconds left. Hayward was injured. They should have gone back and put another 10 seconds on the clock, charge Pittsburgh a timeout. Or if you're not going to do that, you got to call them for offsides. You know, and and they didn't do either one. So Baltimore didn't take their snap until eight seconds, uh, and they they never adjusted the clock. I would imagine the NFL will admit fault uh, on that. Um, Nance uh, and Romo picked up on that, but I didn't think that they they emphasized it enough. And then on the final throw of the game to Snead in the end zone where Minka Fitzpatrick comes over, I think that's a really good defensive play. At the same time, there was helmet-to-helmet on a defenseless receiver. It didn't appear to me, Cooley, that they even reviewed it. And Harbaugh was going nuts. And and by the way, Romo and Nance completely missed on this. I don't know why they couldn't see why Harbaugh was upset. Now, Harbaugh may have been complaining about them not putting clock on the time on the Hayward injury. But I don't – look, I thought that was a great play by Fitzpatrick. I thought he was playing the ball. And if you're playing the ball, I just don't see how you say it's helmet-to-helmet. It, well, it doesn't matter if you're playing the ball. If there's helmet-to-helmet on a defenseless receiver, it's it gets called. I mean, it gets called. It doesn't matter if you're going for the ball. I, or not. I thought the point they made on the play, you know, it doesn't. He wasn't. That wasn't a no penalty. So I, I've watched that play a few times. What the thing I think was interesting is Romo pre-snap before that last play. So you got to run says, around. You got to run around yep. and you got to make something happen off script. Yep. Essentially, to paraphrase. Right. And he's because right. They're sitting there waiting for the timing throw. Right. Yeah, and, and Lamar Jackson would have—he has the ability to scramble and score there, uh, no doubt. Like he's got the ability to to extend for a while to the point where maybe he can run it in from twenty yards out. Sure. Um, but did you? There was one other point in the game, and so I thought, to your point on the clock. I was watching it, and I'm completely with you. And I'm sitting here looking at it now. There's 26 seconds when the ball snapped on the completion to Snead. Yeah, it ends up being. Uh, a big play for 32 yards. Yeah. There's no way that play took more than 10 seconds. Right. As soon as there's a defender injured on the play, you stop the clock. Time, that's the clock stopped. And if you didn't catch it, you got to put it, it back goes on to where right when the player was tackled or touched down by contact. And it should have been, I'm guessing that was about a 10 second play at least. And would it would have given Baltimore many more chances so there. Should have given at him at least. Seven or eight more seconds. They should have had somewhere around fifteen seconds, not eight. Yeah, two, them, two more which snaps. Giving them that option on with the fifteen second mark to potentially clock one. 
doubt it, but potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it was it was it was a missed, uh, botched botched ending for that. By the way, just one other quick thing from that game. First of all, that game's a great game. The, the intensity between these two teams, even with a barely any fans in the stands, it's the best rivalry in football. It's the most intense rivalry in football. They'll play again on Thanksgiving night. Can't wait for that one. But. On the Baltimore possession down 28-24 where they decided to go for the fourth and goal from the three, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gone for it. Um, and, I, and I would definitely have you know um, made Lamar Jackson obviously a big part of that snap. But they could have kicked the field goal there. Hindsight's 50-50, as Spurrier said. Um, they could have kicked the field goal. Fourth and goal from the three is not fourth and goal from the one. And fourth and goal from the three, if they kick the field goal with two timeouts, now they are going to get the ball back if they get a three-and-out stop, which they did anyway, although they got it you know, from the three-yard line. Um, and now all you need is, you know, with Justin Tucker, all you need is the forty, you know, the thirty-eight yard line, and you got a chance to win the game on a field goal. Um, then the context is: is you believe in your defense? Yeah, you got to believe in your defense there. Um, the other, when you watch Pittsburgh, the other thing that I think that do you know how big Claypool is? Oh my God, he's huge. He's six five. He's like, I think he's listed at six four two thirty eight. Yeah, great hands. He runs a four two. I know. How did he last till the second round? I don't know. I mean, big time player doesn't doesn't fit the mo. I've, maybe a lot of people said maybe he's not a receiver. Maybe what is he? I don't know. The other thing I think is interesting about Pittsburgh is I I hated Eric Ebron last year in Indy. I mean, hated him. He played the laziest football I've ever seen played in my life. I remember you saying that. But I guess the one thing you have to forget about when you're scouting sometimes with guys is is one Ebron can run is maybe he's I don't like this in dudes but maybe he's so unhappy that he just didn't want to play you know there's Ebron's balling for Pittsburgh right now well there's also a few organizations in this league where you either grow up and 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 perform at the at with with the the effort that's required or your career is over you know so maybe credit him at 20 whatever years old he is to getting his act together maybe well see i mean he had a tremendous year in indy when andrew luck was there the first year he went to indy oh right he was the high draft guy it was unhappy in detroit was lazy for another year in detroit last year in detroit went to indy played great with luck came back was unhappy in indy didn't say that but you could watch him play and then this is now having a great year in a start in pittsburgh so it's really just i mean interesting as you scout free agents to think is change of scene important for some guys um want to talk about the 49ers seahawks game first of all i want to give you some credit for bringing this um to the attention of the podcast last week and i forget how we got into this conversation but we ended up with this conversation where you said you know quarterbacks are just going to start stop they're going to start faking this the the you know the slide to give up just yeah. to get extra yards and i said well they've already been doing that on the sideline you know mahomes does it a lot and wilson occasionally does it yesterday there was a play where wilson fake slid and then got hit and they flagged the 49ers for it. The league has to do something about that. If you are not going to give yourself up legitimately and you are going to fake a slide, You're not a, you are now not a quarterback. You now des, you you deserve to take any kind of shot it, that a running back would take. Period. Agreed. Agreed. And so they're they're going to have to figure that out. I don't know what the solution to that is. Like, how do you say? 
I guess you just have to say if we see you fake slide and you take a big hit, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get the flag. You gotta I, make it reviewable. I think they should make it reviewable. And you know what I also think, Cooley? I think it should be unsportsmanlike. Ooh, I like that. It actually is unsportsmanlike because if that dude helmet to helmet you, it's gonna cost him like fifty grand. I mean and the rule the rule are- is in place. This is why I think it's unsportsmanlike. I love, you know, scheming the system. But they put the rule in to protect you. You can't take advantage of that rule like that. You just can't. It's unfair. It's brutally unfair. And Wilson fake slid and then got a couple of extra yards and then got drilled. And it wasn't actually drilled, you know, it was a shoulder to the helmet, but he deserved it. And they, 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 it's funny because right when I saw it, I'm like, didn't we just talk about this last week? Like within the week. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, The 49ers are just too hurt right now. They're just too hurt. Yeah, I mean, they're so banged up, and Garoppolo went out again, and Kittle went out again, and without – they lost Armstead, right, and they don't have Joey Bosa. I still think Kyle's doing a pretty good job. Garoppolo stinks. Oh, he's, he's not he's, a great quarterback. He's not really good. He got it's hurt. It's so weird what's going on with them, though, because they don't know who they have. I know. They played they don't Mullins. They played Bethard or Mullins because they Mullins came in and actually lit it up there yeah. for a while. I know he almost got it. There's a chance to cover their back door. And and what three weeks ago Mullins came in and wet the bed and they put in Bethard. I, I know. Who are they, they going to play? They they're going to be in the market for quarterback next year. Um, we can't talk about this game without talking about two players on Seattle, Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. Oh my God. Every- that first touchdown by Metcalf was just like outrun everybody. It was insanity. I don't know if you get this all the time, but whenever DK Metcalf has a big game, Cooley's biggest mistake of all time. <laughs> yeah, no, every single time. And yeah, I was 100% wrong. The thing that was hard with DK Metcalf wasn't the freak athleticism because you saw the freak athleticism, but he was a he was a combine dude, you know. And you look at some of his college stuff at Old Miss. Like there, you can look at a play where he's got a little stutter and go against Alabama early in a game, and he's gone for seven. You're like, this dude just ran by Alabama. I mean, I get that, but it was also there's so many times when guys are put together the way he's put together that I just thought this guy's an injury waiting to happen. Right. Well, I'm wrong on that because you look at him now and he looks like the most put together dude of all time. So, I mean, his ability to run, get downfield, make catches downfield, make catches in traffic, he's been outstanding. He's amazing. He's Calvin Johnson. He's Megatron. Yeah, that's a good comp. Calvin Johnson is about about exactly. He had 12 catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns. And then Russell Wilson, Cooley, first of all, I didn't realize this until this morning, very early this morning. Russell Wilson's on pace to throw 59 and a half touchdowns, which would beat, would crush. Hold on, I'm going to say. <laughs> Hold on. That was nice. Just leave that. That was a good sneeze. Um, yeah, uh, Russell Wilson's on pace to throw 59 and a half touchdowns, which would be the all-time mark. Peyton Manning set the all-time mark in 2013 with Denver. And I, I think in watching Russell Wilson, he's definitely my MVP right now through seven games. They've played seven games. I would take, I would vote him MVP over anybody in the league, including Mahomes, including anybody else you want to throw into the mix. 
I think what we're watching in Russell Wilson is the greatest off-schedule quarterback of all time. He's become a great on-schedule quarterback. He's become a really good on-schedule quarterback, too. But there's nobody better off-schedule in, I don't know, people will say Fran Tarkington or Roger Staubach. I'm like thinking back to to, to way back in the day. Aaron Rodgers has obviously been a phenomenal off-schedule quarterback. Mahomes in in the first few years of his career. But nobody that has the ability to feel where it's coming from, to be elusive inside or outside, to keep his eyes down the field, to make accurate, beautiful throws on the move. To or run to when he needs to run. Run when he needs to run. The decision-making off schedule, it's just so good. It's so good. And their team defensively isn't that great, although they played well yesterday. But – they're going to be a, a. They're going to be in the hunt to make the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl because of him and and Metcalf to a certain degree. But it's because of him. Without him, they would not be a good. They would be a two win team without him, a one win team without him. They had some dude named DJ Dallas in the backfield yesterday with them. <laughs> yeah, who the hell is DJ Dallas? Well, Clinton probably knows because he went to the U. Yeah. Um, I don't you know. He's incredible. But they, I mean, Lockett and Metcalf are both awesome receivers. I, I mean, I don't want to take anything from a couple of those guys, but it's not like they're loaded after that. No. I mean, Greg Olson's over there, but Greg Olson didn't have a catch in this game, four targets. Will Disley is a tight end that I was at the combine with. I like, but Will Disley's just a guy. And they're a bunch of guys other than their two receivers who are ballers. Oh, yeah. Lockett and Metcalf. Um, the craziest, one of the most incredible box scores you will ever see was the Rams-Dolphins box score. The Dolphins won the game 28-17. They were up 28-7 to at one point, up 28-10 to at halftime, and were never threatened. It was Tua Tungavailoa's debut as starting quarterback. In the game, the Rams had 471 yards, to the Dolphins, 145 yards. The Rams had 92 offensive plays. The Dolphins had 48 offensive plays. <laughs> the Rams had 31 first downs. The Dolphins had eight first downs eight. in the game. Eight. They won the game because they had a punt return for a touchdown, which, by the way, I didn't realize this until it happened. It was the first punt return for a touchdown this year in the NFL. That's weird. They had a 78-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Um, And I think they also had a play set up by another Jared Goff turnover. Jared Goff in the game had two interceptions, um, and the Rams also had – and two lost fumbles. He had four turnovers personally in the game. I don't know that I've ever seen 92 snaps to 48 snaps in a game. They had 16 possessions. That's crazy. 16 possessions. No, it was crazy, and there's a reason you run 48 plays. I mean, the the fumble return for the touchdown, it came after, what, a pick or a fumble by Goff down there in the Dolphins' red zone. Yeah. Like – this was this was wild, man. This is one of those games that McVeigh's gonna go back and like rethink exactly what he was doing in this game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? We just we just waxed them. You watch you watch this game on film, other than a couple of turnovers, they the Rams waxed them. Tungle by Lowe looked awful. 
12 of 22, 93 yards, and their rushing attack was 25 carries, 55 yards. They averaged 2.2 yards per carry. And yet they are 4-3 and three with Brian Flores doing a really good job, um, and we'll see. You know, there was a story that came out yesterday morning. I thought it was very interesting. The story was that Tunga Vailoa got the start this week because the Dolphins as an organization decided they have to find out now. They have to find out this year if they drafted the right guy or not. It wasn't that he was ready to go. It wasn't a Mahomes situation, you know, um, from Kansas City's rookie year where I'm sure Reed considered it and he was absolutely ready. This was the Dolphins as an organization who have been thinking forward now for a few years. They really have. And this was them saying, which was what I said last year about Haskins, we have to know. We got to know this year because if we end up drafting high in 2020, we may have to, we, we may have to pull in Arizona and draft another quarterback. But anyway, the point is is that there were stories out that essentially came from sources uh, in the organization that said the reason they made the switch is they just decided that over these final ten games they have to find out whether or not they got it right on uh, on Tonga Vailoa. I thought I thought that was really interesting because they're pat they're four and three and they're in the playoff hunt, um, but they'd probably be better off with Fitzpatrick if yesterday was an indication. But I well, but, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they can't go back to back to Fitzpatrick. They might think in four games that they might win three of the next four and and believe that they know on Tonga Vailoa. Right. Um, <laughs> did you watch Mahomes? I had one thought on this game with Mahomes. Go ahead. I, I didn't watch it. I did have him as my fantasy quarterback, which was good, but I lost. Which is not that Mahomes can't make every – it's not even Mahomes per se. It's the Chiefs. Andy Reid is the best nuisance play designer of anybody in the NFL. And we looked at quarterback's yards per attempt early in the year a couple of weeks ago, and Mahomes was down towards the bottom. It's because they throw a million screens, RPOs, bubbles, shovel passes. Right. The underhand out, shovel. Take out the screens – they throw more screens than anybody else. It's the nuisance, get you to the edge play, get the rush off balance play. And everyone has screens, but take out take out half of their screens and nuisance plays. His yards per attempt aren't down. They just have so many plays that sure. you get on the edge to just the underhand shovel or just quick little plays that count as minus one per attempt or one yard per attempt. I also had this thought in watching the Jets game and watching multiple teams play Kansas City this year. Why in the fuck would you give up the pass in RPO? Right. Make them run it. Right. I get that they might be a good run team, but take the ball out of my home's hands as much as you can. The Jets multiple times gave up the RPO throw versus the run. Don't do that. How about the there's, underhand? There's no line big enough for the Jets. How about the underhand middle chuck to Kelsey for the touchdown? <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I have never seen that before. It's awesome. He's just, he's a really special quarterback. But the play design, it's Reed, the enemy. They're so good. They are so creative. It's by far the most creative offense. And I get what Baltimore is, but Kansas City is more creative. A um, couple of other games, real quickly, to talk about. Uh, you know, we both knew Minnesota was right. I've been right on Minnesota's games now every single time, either against them or for them all year in the smell test. And they were a lock yesterday in terms of the anti-public play because Green Bay was the biggest public play on the board. And, you know, Dalvin Cook did something yesterday that had never been done in an NFL game. 
uh, since the merger anyway, in 1970, so 50 years. He scored touchdowns on the team's first four possessions of the game. This was the weirdest game, Cooley. I don't know if you were paying attention to it. Green Bay opens the the, the game with an eight-minute drive touchdown. Minnesota responds with a a six-and-a-half-minute drive touchdown. Green Bay responds for another nine-minute drive for a touchdown. Minnesota then responds for a a six-and-a-half-minute drive touchdown. And that's halftime. 14-14, 14-14, four drives, that's it. First time that's happened in like six years in the NFL where there's been only four possessions and a half total. The, the number of plays in the first quarter, I think, was 24, the fewest amount of plays in a quarter all year long. And it was just one third down conversion after another by both teams and their 14-14 at half. But I do want to get to the second half because I want to talk about Mike Zimmer here for a moment. And I don't know how much you watch this game or not. I watched <clears> a lot this game. Including a big, big uh, uh, clock management error by uh, Matt LaFleur at the end. I, I think Mike Zimmer was the better of the two assistant coaches in Cincinnati for Marvin Lewis. I would have preferred that Washington had hired Mike Zimmer than Jay Gruden. I just would have. I think Mike Zimmer's a really good defensive mind. He's from the Parcells tree. I like the way he coaches defense. Uh, Even though his defense is terrible this year, I always think it's pretty well coached. And yet, he is so effing conservative when his team gets a lead, and this goes back to Bridgewater. It, it's not a Kirk thing. It, it was a Bridgewater thing, too. It's he, he nearly costs his team games. Now, I know he went for the fourth and inches at Seattle, which, by the way, was the right call. I don't know how much of a risk it really was. It was less than six inches. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't like the call. But you, I know you didn't. I was fine with it. Um, but yesterday, they're up two scores. They had not been stopped on four drives. They had – it was all Dalvin Cook, don't get me wrong, but they had some balance and they, they, they mixed in some screens and they mixed in a couple of throws, you know, out in the flat to Jefferson and, and Thielen to move the sticks on some of those drives. And he – in the fourth quarter with a two-score lead on three consecutive drives, he threw one pass. And the pass was for a first down to Irv Smith, and it got called for offensive P.I., which was a terrible call. It was an awful call. It was just a terrible call. It was a good play by Kirk to keep the drive alive. Irv Smith makes a nice play. Oh, actually, you know what I'm thinking? I think it wasn't a terrible call. Irv Smith was initially picking before he ended up having the ball thrown to him. I didn't I think think the call was about two seconds before the ball was thrown. I think it was – it was a design type of pick route. The ball wasn't supposed to go to Irv Smith. So my point here is this. Zimmer, you know, over the years has nearly lost some of these games, and he's actually lost some of these games by not staying balanced. And, you know, I had a bunch of people, you know, uh, texting me, oh, he doesn't trust Kirk. No, this is who he's been. By the way, Kirk's 10 picks this year, just so everybody understands – and this is going to be, oh, there he goes again. Here he goes again. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Three of them, he has 10 picks. He's second in the league in interceptions behind Wentz. Three of them were Hail Marys at the end of halves. And two of them were drops that got deflected in the air and picked. So half of his picks really aren't on him. And I know you could probably say that about a lot of quarterbacks. But I bet you, I bet you not one other quarterback in the league has three Hail Marys at the end of halves picked. Anyway, that's beside the point because it has nothing to do with what he did here. Um, and that is you've got to continue against Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson 
to think aggressively and try to score. Giving Aaron Rodgers the ball back down by six with 50 seconds to go is living on the edge, and you didn't have to do it because Green Bay's defense isn't that good, and you could have easily maintained the ball on a couple of those drives. Now, let me get to this. Did you pick up on Matt LaFleur's major error at the end of the game? I ran out of service in the last drive of the game. So this is a pet peeve of mine over the years. Um, When you are in a behind situation, need to get the ball back, you've got three timeouts on defense, and you're prior to the two-minute warning. You have to take those timeouts prior to the two-minute warning. Now, there is one exception. I would personally not call a timeout with about 205 left or 206 left because that gives gives, an option to throw a run. It gives the offense free license to throw without consequence a pass because an incomplete pass doesn't hurt them because the clock's going to start. But he let the final 30 seconds of the first uh, of the two minutes wind down. It's simple math. You lose roughly 15 to 20 seconds of clock time if you don't use those timeouts before the two-minute warning. A lot of coaches make that mistake often. They, 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 it's like they want they don't want somebody to be in a three-knees situation at the end of the two minutes, but the problem is, is you cost yourself time. And so Aaron Rodgers Roger should have had another 15 seconds minimum at the end of, of that game. Um you know, it's funny about Green Bay. Uh, I think they're really good, but I don't think in the NFC they're anywhere near as dangerous as Seattle. And I know that a lot of people would take Aaron Rodgers over um, over uh, Russell Wilson in a playoff game. And to me, they're nowhere near as good as Tampa Bay. I I, I like the Packers, and and trust me, when they're healthy, they're really dangerous. I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. I really don't. I think they're also not very good on defense. Well, they got gashed on defense. Gashed. By the way, Dalvin Cook's really good. Dalvin Cook is as good as there is right now in the league. No, when when you look at the NFC, okay, no one's going to run Tampa Bay. And I don't think anybody's going to run Seattle. But right now, if Atlanta's playing Green Bay, are you sure that Atlanta's not going to beat Green Bay? No, I'm not sure. No, I, in no way are you sure that a two and six Atlanta team is not going to beat Green Bay. Right. Like, the Rams, the 49ers have both got beat by Miami, who's not a bad team. Like a lot of these teams, are you sure Chicago is now at five and three? They were five and zero, oh, but are you sure that anybody can't beat Chicago? Like I'm, I Minnesota could beat anybody in, in their division. Minnesota lost by a point to Tennessee, a point to Seattle, and beat Green Bay. So they, they can obviously, when they're healthy, even though they're pretty bad defensively and banged up, and their offensive line is a terrible pass pro line, but they're capable of beating anybody. By the way, Cooling, you know the interesting thing about that Chicago-New Orleans game? I'm not a big New Orleans fan this year. Chicago's defense is good, really good. They could have won that game despite Nick Foles stinking for the first 55 minutes of that game. He got he got hot there at the end, but goddamn, is Roquan Smith is he he's turned into a star. It doesn't surprise me. I loved him coming out of that draft, and they've got talent on defense. Everybody loved him. I they, mean, everybody loved him. They've got talent coming. They, they've got talent, and they're they're tough, and they're well coached um, by Pagano. Um, 
you know, I don't know what Chicago is. I can tell you this. They can win games with their defense. No, I mean, you look at the – Trevathan's outstanding. Eddie Jackson and Tayshawn Gibson are awesome safeties. I'll never forget this. McVay, we were talking about Gibson at one point, and he's like, he's one of the true guys that's got red line to red line speed, and that's where I kind of came up with red line to red line speed. But Tayshawn Gibson's got big-time speed. You add Khalil Mack into the mix, the, the Hicks is awesome. Like, Hicks is a big-time player. They have six stars on defense. Yeah, they do. I think both their safeties – I think Jackson and Gibson are both stars on defense – I think Roquan Smith and Trevathan are two of the best linebackers in the league. And you add Mack and Hicks and somebody like they're Fuller's a good player. I think Chicago's awesome on defense. The problem is, is they don't have a quarterback. I know they don't, but he got a little bit hot there at the end. And did you see how distraught Allen Robinson was and how, like, I thought they were going to go to Trubisky because Trubisky at least gives them a dual threat option when they weren't moving the ball at all. I watched a lot of this game because um, I had Chicago and I thought it was a loss at 23-13. And then, they, and then he drives them down the field and they score on third and goal. And then they get the ball back and he gets them in field goal range. And and um, it was uh, – I don't know what they're going to do offensively, um, but their defense is good enough to win double-digit games. I mean, that's why they're 5 and 3 because they're very good defensively. And you know, they, I was looking at their schedule because I was like, you know, could they actually even though everybody's down in Chicago right now because they've lost two in a row and nobody thinks they're very good, they think their records totally misleading, could they beat Green Bay out for the division? I think they can. I think that 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 defense could carry them to, you know, 10 and 6, 11 and 5 and be right there. They still play the Packers twice. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it's funny the, everybody's opinions and teams like every it, when you look at the standings, everybody thinks Chicago is total a total fraud at 5 and 2 and now at 5 and 3. And yet if you watch them, they are nasty defensively. Well, they I mean, they're not necess- they beat Tampa I know. Makes it hard to say they're a fraud team, but they've also had, they're also a five win team that could have lost to the Giants. Remember the first game of the year, they should have lost to the Lions. They're a team that could very, very easily be three and five. True. True. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, My last couple of thoughts before I take off. Yeah. Joe Burrow's awesome. Yeah, Joe Burrow's so good. Joe Burrow is so good. You know he's third in the league in total yards? I did not know that. He's third in the league in total yards. Um, he's outstanding. Tennessee, you know, it was just such a hard stretch. They they were they are so well coached. That stretch where they didn't practice for two weeks and then had three games in a row, that came back to bite them. Um, Cam Newton fumbled on a drive that they had in field goal range with 40 seconds left. It was like, oh, my God. I'm not sure on Buffalo. Um, I'm not sure on Buffalo. Zach Moss, who looked pretty good. This I, uh, back. Zach Moss came in. I love, I love him and Singletary. I love both their backs. Um, you know, Cam, you know, they. I didn't watch this game. Belichick tried some onside kick in the third quarter, which obviously backfired. But that run that Cam had, they've got a chance to win the game in regulation, worst-case tie, go to overtime, and he did not protect that ball on that run. Nope. Nope. Quarterback power. Yeah. Um, 
Philip Rivers, you know, he nearly the, the discussion in Indianapolis two weeks ago that he was going to get benched. He's now just lit up uh, opponents the last two weeks, and the Colts are good and they're good on defense. Like I, I love what you've said about Eberflus, but I, I love some of their players. Like I love Darius Leonard. I mean, how can't you? He's, he's so good. Um, they're tied with Tennessee. Like that's going to be a really interesting division. They, they, they have not played each other yet uh, at all. Um, and then. Denver can't. The Chargers have blown more big leads, and this has been the year of the comeback. Yeah, more than anybody, and uh, that was a really exciting ending. I want to leave. What a drive by Locke to finish that game. Um, one thought from that. Yeah, Lindsey's like first in the league in yards per attempt. I love him. Love him. He had six carries. Undrafted. Give him the ball. Undrafted. Why do they not? If Lindsey was a second round draft pick, no one would question anything. It's because he's undrafted. They're like, ah, I don't know about this dude. Yeah. Just give him the ball. He's awesome. Uh, I love Justin Jackson, too, uh, the Northwestern back uh, who plays for for them. All right, one last thing before we leave for the day, because I want you to hear this, okay, because I know you did not watch this um, and you don't know anything about it. You know, (laughs) Tua's brother, Talia, is Maryland's quarterback. You know, Loxley recruited Tua. He, he knows the family really well. And Talia, who was at Bama last year, transferred to Maryland, got the waiver to be um, eligible right away. Maryland's not a good team, Cooley. All right. They're going to lose more games than they win this year. They're very, very young. They're two years away from, you know, he's got, you know, a massive recruiting class coming in next year and the year after. And the class he had this year was an excellent class. I'm just going to mention this. And I tweeted this out, and a lot of you laughed at me, which is fine. On Friday night, Talia Tungavailoa was Russell Wilson in the game against Minnesota. He plays like Russell Wilson. He's got eyes in the back of his head like Russell Wilson. I haven't seen a player that I watched in a game where I said at the end of the game, I just watched the real deal. It's funny because he was so terrible in their opener against Northwestern. And, you know, I had Loxley on the radio show last week, and Loxley said, no, 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 we're we're sticking with Leah. And, you know, he said it so, like, definitively, like, no, 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 you you don't understand. He can play. He can play. So they get off to this 21-7 lead. Then Minnesota comes back and takes a 17-point lead. And then Maryland roars back behind uh, Tungavailoa in the fourth quarter. They win. They, they win in overtime, 45-44. Minnesota missed an extra point uh, in overtime after scoring what should have been the touchdown that gave him a chance to tie to force the second overtime. Cooley, you just have to watch them. They're going to lose a lot of games because they're young and the teams they are playing are much better. Like this week they play Penn State, then they play Ohio State, okay? Then they play Michigan. I think that's basically the next run of games. And they they don't have the talent that the, you know, that the other teams have. And there are going to be some games where it looks rough. But you've got to watch him. He's 5'11", but he is special. He has the ability to make and ex- make people miss, extend plays, always looking downfield. I swear to you, and I don't know anything about him, I've asked uh, Marilyn um, if he's available to put on the radio show, and I think I'm going to get him this week. But in watching the game, all I kept saying is, this guy's favorite player is Russell Wilson. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that he patterns his whole game after Russell Wilson. Everything about him looks like a miniature version of Russell Wilson. I'm not saying he's going to become Russell Wilson. Okay, what I am saying is he is Maryland's best quarterback talent in years, going back to Scott McBrien probably, and talent-wise better than Scott McBrien. Number two, 
I just I knew at the end of that game that I was like, this guy's the real deal. I don't know if they'll ever win because they just don't have the same level of players and talent. And, you know, and by the way, they're a very young team this year. But if anybody else watched him on Friday night against the team that was picked to win the Big Ten West in Minnesota, who obviously is not nearly as good, but man, Talia, they call him Leah, Tungavailoa, Tua's younger brother, is really, really exciting to watch. Like, I cannot wait to watch him the rest of the year. And before Friday night, I was like, when's basketball start? <laughs> when when can we get to basketball season? But you've got to watch this guy. If, I'm assuming most of you didn't watch, which is fine. This guy's a special talent. And he is going to have a chance to really lift Maryland over the next year or two to a level they haven't been at in a while. And I'm not, you know, again, they're in the Big Ten East. Okay, they're in the the most difficult division, that in the SEC West in college football. And their schedule is brutal, brutal in the Big Ten. And they beat Minnesota. They were a 20-point underdog, Akuli, 20-point underdog. And next Saturday they're at Penn State. Then they've got Ohio State. But they have Michigan State, who's okay. They did beat Michigan. They've got Rutgers on their schedule. Um, just watch Talia to his younger brother. Um, we were talking about Maryland over the weekend, and I, and you know it's the funny thing is these college coaches, their second year I think is their toughest year, because they inherit whatever was left from the seniors their first year and some of the better players that are a little bit older, but then it becomes their recruiting classes, and in that first year you're young, you're young and it's tough, and I think you got to give Loxley into year three, four before you find out, you know. He, he, Sometimes it happens where it happens fast, but I think it's so hard to think Maryland's not good and won't be good because his recruiting has been outstanding. And as he gets guys to be sophomores and juniors, that's when you find out about a college coach. Yeah, and for those of you that are wondering if I was, I'm going to mention how the end of the game regulation, I have no idea why he didn't call a timeout and throw a Hail Mary. I don't know. I don't know if if he's any better than just a phenomenal recruiter. He certainly hasn't proven it as a coach. We'll see. Um, but I want to see him with his players, and I want him to have a chance to coach his players over the next two to three years when when his classes be, you know begin to mature. It's really tough in the Big Ten, but this area, Cooley, has a lot of athletes. Maryland has produced NFL players from skill position skill positions consistently over the years by recruiting the WCAC, by recruiting the Tidewater area, by recruiting this area. And if he gets a lot of these players to stay, they're going to have talent. Are they going to have Ohio State talent? No. Are they going to have Penn State talent? No. Are they going to have Michigan talent? No. But can he get this program to a point where it can win seven, eight games a year and be in a bowl game every year? I think he can. It's been done at Maryland before. We know that. Ralph Friedgen went to seven bowl games in 10 years. So um, anyway, uh, Tunga Vailoa. One other quick last thing. I'm sick of the targeting rule in college football. You know, what you, you know what you do? You, you flag the play, walk off 15 yards, and give the guy a yellow card on the spot, and the next time he does it, he's out. We cannot waste any more time going to replay on this stuff. It is the biggest effing waste of time. I can't, every single time there's a big hit, we got to spend four minutes 
determining whether or not it was targeting or not. It slows the game every down. Every time they determined that it was targeting. So, <laughs> stupid. Give me stupid. Get, Turn it to uh, soccer. Get, give the dude 15 yards and a yellow card and say whether it was or wasn't, you got a yellow card. Okay, that's the benefit of the doubt. We're not tossing that's you on the NFL rule. Yeah, For the it, most part. Yeah, no, it is the NFL rule now. Yeah, without the cards. I mean, Bostic went out with one hit. So, yeah. All right, no coolie tomorrow because there's no film breakdown. He'll be back. Um, I don't know what your schedule is going to be with us the rest of the I was going to look at the young quarterbacks in college this year, so maybe we'll do Wednesday or something. All right, perfect. Uh, everybody enjoy the day. I'm back tomorrow with Tommy.